Hello, Internet. My name's Jonathan Cook. And I'm Matt Noble. Now, Matt, just the other day I was thinking, we've been doing the podcast for a while, and I had the thought, how many podcasts have we actually done? Well, Jonathan, it's funny you should mention that, because we've done 99 podcasts. 99 podcasts. You're telling me today, this very podcast, is Screen Verdict's 100th podcast? Yes, it is. Well, I hope for our 100th podcast we've got something exciting planned. Oh, we do. Now, Screen Verdict is a podcast where we've been talking for the past two years about movies and TV shows, and we thought for our 100th, the best thing to do would be to have a showdown, a podcast showdown. It is the day for it. It's very windy outside. A storm is brewing. Yeah. A showdown. Among certain categories where Matt has picked a favourite, I have picked a favourite, yep. in the middle we will meet to battle Yeah. So in ha- order to declare the screen verdict winners. The SVs, if you will. I think that's what we might be... That's what the... We didn't talk about that in production meeting, but uh, maybe. So, uh, we've got ten categories. They're all types of movies, and we've each picked our favourite. We'll announce it, and we'll debate. Raw debate. I don't know what Jonathan's picks are. He doesn't know what mine are. We'll be trying to convince the other who should win the award, and we'll be trying to win over the listeners as well. Maybe you let us know what film you thought should have won for each of these categories. Yes, definitely weigh in. And you can do that on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Screen Verdict Podcast. Yes. So, our very first category harks back a little to our very first podcast, where we ranked all the Pixar animated films. Mm. Okay? We kicked off our podcast of animation. We're returning to it with the greatest animated film since 2000. Okay? Yes, yeah, so all of these categories yeah. are going to be from... 2000. Mm-hmm. So the greatest animated film, but a caveat, a caveat, 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 whatever, um, <laughs> not Pixar. We're not going to just rehash the <laughs> Monsters, Inc. versus Toy Story 2 debate we had two years ago to just reach the same conclusion. So these are non-Pixar animated films. Maybe DreamWorks will get a look in this list. <laughs> Could it be Ants? Could it be Shark Tale? We'll see when Matt and I reveal our picks. So, my pick, I'm pretty confident in it, Tangled is the best animated movie since 2000. It's the Disney movie that's the story of Rapunzel, a callback to those old Disney princess movies from the 90s, a classic. Is it called Tangled or Entangled? Tangled. I thought it was Entangled. Oh, okay. No, it's Tangled. That doesn't bode well for my sort of the, the respect I have okay. for this film. Okay. If I can't remember well, the title. Well, you only just saw it on the weekend. Like, hopefully it turned you. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> no. <laughs> turned you into a, someone with more respect There was respect a lot of film. singing. There was a lot of song and dance. <laughs> before I we, didn't realise I was into it. Before, before, before we watched it, we don't go, excited for Tangled? And Jonathan goes... Is this a musical? <laughs> anyway. My pick for best animated film since 2000. You perhaps foreshadowed this a little with your DreamWorks reference. Oh, it's Megamind. Megamind. Oh. That um, fills in. Why Megamind? Megamind is a superhero story mm-hmm. told from the perspective of the villain. 
Yes, and it's uh, got some quite cute little yellow minions that run around, and he adopts some. He adopts some kids that are very adorable. With the, it's so fluffy. I want to die and stuff. Like it's it's great. Um, a really competitive choice there. Yes, Matt, but I think you might be thinking about Despicable Me. Oh yeah, they came out at a similar time, didn't they? <laughs> okay, so Megamind's the blue guy. <laughs> With the big head. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, on, I'm on the page. I'm on the page. So, Jonathan, why is Despicable Me a better movie than Tangled? <laughs> Megamind is the best film. Oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> why is Megamind, Jonathan, better than Tangled? Well, something about, I guess, kids' films, animations is, you know, there's things in there for adults. There are things that are clever and you, and you like... But often you still have the sense of it being a kid's film and there are jokes in there that you don't really like. They're a bit silly or slapsticky or you're just something that makes you feel like you're watching a kid's film. I didn't get that at all with Megamind. Megamind was just so sharp. It was so funny. You've got great voice actors like Will Ferrell, Tina Fey, Jonah Hill. David Cross. All people that I'm a big fan of. In a really clever script, I actually remember thinking while watching the film... If I were to take a look at the screenplay in order to analyse structure... If I was giving a lecture to a university class on how to write a screenplay, I would use this as an example. It's so well-structured. You constantly have something to be excited about, something that you're invested in, and just as it gets to a certain point, it takes you somewhere else. It always subverts your expectations. So it's a really clever story with a great sense of humour and a great voice cast. Pretty much everything you'd want in a comedy animation. Everything you'd want. And no songs. <laughs> okay. Tangled is a much better film than The Spickle <laughs> Me. When you, when you talk to me about the quintessential animated films, the, the animated films of their childhood that they remember, that are just great films that have stood the test of time, you're talking Beauty and the Beast. You're talking Aladdin. You're talking Sleeping Beauty. You're talking The Little Mermaid. These classic Disney animation films... And let's be honest, the 90s were very kind to Disney. The 2000s were not. They started doing Brother Bears. They started really losing their stock, one could argue. Then along came Tangled, film that reclaimed that mantle for Disney. Another classic princess film. It's got great music, great songs by Oscar winner Alan Menken. It's got a strong female lead. It's got, it's a funny movie. It's got some great action scenes. Uh, it's sort of got everything you'd want for an animated movie. It's great. It's like, it's like one of the classic Disney films, but from a couple of years ago. Is that a case of style over substance though, Matt? It sort of fits these criteria, boxes, checks the list. But is it really that entertaining to watch? Like, do you genuinely find Tangled hilarious? Yeah, Tangled's funny. It's not hilarious, like, <laughs> laugh a minute, but it's funny. You've got the, the little chameleon, cute chameleon. You've got the, the horse. You've got Flynn Rider's got a bit of an attitude. And then you've got, like, the stuff with the fry pan with the girl just, like, hitting him over there with the fry pan was some great classic slapstick. I feel like he would probably be dead. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> the amount of times he gets hit with that frying pan, the amount of time he face plants out of that cupboard, there's going to be some some long term damage. I think just Ryder. the fall from the tree before he even meets her probably would have killed him. <laughs> but it's an animated movie. Okay, I'll tell you what I liked about. Tangled. Okay, let's walk walk me through it. 
I like the character of Flynn Rider. Yeah. He was such a douche, but they managed to get the perfect balance between that and him still being likable and entertaining, which I think is quite hard to do. Mm-hmm. I, the chameleon was kind of cute. I, I like some of the, the bits with that. And I like the opening narration. It was a bit over the top. It was very self reassuring It was postmodern to the max. Yeah. It was just like, remember this character, they're going to be important. And then 20 seconds later, remember her? Yeah. <laughs> Told yeah. you she'd be I thought that was funny. That was good. But on the other hand, too many songs. I didn't really care for this. I don't hate all musicals in general, but I didn't really get into any of these. They're great. Uh, The mum. I hated the mum. She's the villain. She's the villain, but it wasn't like she was too evil. It was more that she was just too irritating. I'd say she's one of the most evil villains at all. She was kind of just this overbearing mum that just sort of talked over the top of her child all the time, and I found that a bit annoying to listen to. Like, what did you think of Rapunzel? She's the lead in the film. Like, what What did you think of her? Because you need a good princess if this is going to be the greatest animated film since 2000. She's quite likeable, and I guess in terms of the design, the, the hair works quite well. Some mm-hmm. of the cool things she does with that was pretty good. Some of the back-and-forth, flip-flopping sort of, I guess, was supposed to represent her state of mind as just an 18-year-old. She was yeah. playing a teenager. Yeah. But it was a bit annoying. Like, teenagers are annoying. Oh. Like, no, no one really likes teenagers. Would you go out of Rapunzel for Entangled in this movie? No. See, I probably would. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. very cute. I guess I have a, perhaps a more mature taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think more like the sort of 18, 19 year old me, not the like. <laughs> <laughs> That was solid clarification. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I really enjoyed Megamind. It really surprised me about how much I enjoyed it. And there's a big twist about a third of the way into the film. There's a couple. I'd say there's... That's what I meant by about it changing direction. Yeah. Something, yeah, really shocks you quite early on. And then there's quite a, a shift, probably maybe about two-thirds of the way through the film as yeah. well. And that really impressed me that they went there with that twist and change of direction because I think it opened up the film a bit more and it sort of went in a direction I wasn't expecting, which I really appreciate. And it was funny and things. I thought they did a bit of a cop out with that twist towards the end of the film. I guess it's a kid's film. It's an animated film. Maybe they have to do it, but I think there's a bit of a cop out there. That's another twist. That's the third twist. Yeah, but yeah. Not the best of the three twists. No, definitely not. Uh, so there's that. And I, I rewatched this recently, Megamind. And it just wasn't as funny as I remembered it. There weren't as many jokes that I didn't pick up the first time and things. So, I don't know. It's a very good film, Megamind. I really liked Megamind, but I still think Tangled has that perfect combination of heart and comedy. And music. (laughs) I'm not saying Tangled should win the award, but I dislike Tangled less than I thought I would, which means I'm not displeased with it winning the award. So they hear it. You've heard it. Tangled wins the first SV award. Congratulations. The best animated film since 2000 that isn't Pixar. That's what people want from their award presenters. And the award for the film that I didn't hate. Yeah. (laughs) Go to Tangled. Okay. Category two. 
best sci-fi or fantasy film since 2000? If I was to guess yours, can I guess yours? Sure. I don't know, maybe District 9? I do quite like District 9. Uh, this isn't a plug for, for the website. We don't give out free plugs on no. uh, the Screen Verdict. If you'd like to sponsor Screen Verdict, we'll... We would ha- we'll happily sell out. We'll do yes. to give, to give shout outs. You would be you'd be you would be surprised at things we would do to sponsorship. <laughs> uh, but I have a rateyourmusic.com profile, and I went through all the films that I'd rated. And I think of all the categories we have, I think this was the maybe not the hardest one for me to pick, but the one where I had the most options. Mm. I, I really enjoy. But my sci-fi. Well, films. you love Prometheus. You love District Nine. You, yeah. However. None of those are my picks. My pick for best sci-fi or fantasy film since 2000, Cloud Atlas. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, give me, sell me on this one. Sell me on. Why is Cloud Atlas the best fantasy? Uh, and then, then I've got, I think, a game-changing pick that might be able to win you over. I, I think I can do this. I think I can win this one. <laughs> Well, this is a tough ask, because this is the second time I've had to try and bring Matt around on Cloud Atlas. We did a podcast on it, and we were a little divided. Firstly, length. It's, it's just, it's got so much substance. It, there's really, you don't feel like you left the cinema without getting value for your $12 ticket. I don't know if length equals value. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you basically get six movies in one. Hmm. I think that's an amazing feat, both in terms of writing, in terms mm. of directing, in mm. terms of editing. How do you put all of that uh, together in a way that even though, and perhaps if they were directly linked, that would have been even easier. But the fact that it's sort of more of an indirect thematic link, I think is an even grander challenge for the filmmakers to take on. Mm. And I think they've done something that no one else has even really attempted, and it made something that was engaging and exciting and just emotionally affected you for some time after having after having watched it yeah like bits and of, the sci-fi yeah. portion not the whole film is sci-fi but the sci-fi was we agreed were our favorite parts as well yes i think those are some of the best sci-fi scenes mm. uh, in cinema mm. so that's my pitch for cloud atlas okay get ready to shake up the snow globe I think a a, a movie I think you quite like. (laughs) Wall-E. I go Wall-E as the best sci-fi or fantasy film since 2000. (laughs) We had to ban Pixar from our animation category because it was just inevitably going to win. We didn't make it one more category even without Pixar. <laughs> now being picked. Okay. P- pitch to me why Wally is, is sci fi. What do you mean, why it's sci fi? <laughs> like one tenth of your. Like, sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> one fifth of your films, like a guy writing a song on the piano. And <laughs> I've got to just follow my mind sci fi. <laughs> Two sixths of my film is yeah. sci fi. <laughs> okay. It's about a robot living in a futuristic world, <laughs> cleaning up the world, and then a spaceship comes, drops off another robot. <laughs> they fall in love. They have a robot relationship. 
then they go up into space <laughs> on a futuristic spaceship and defeat an evil computer robot. <laughs> How is that not sci-fi? Hey, could that be considered non-fiction, though? Isn't that sort of pretty standard, everyday 2013 affair? <laughs> it's definitely sci-fi. Okay, okay. <laughs> Wally could be considered sci-fi. It's got a great first 30 minutes. Uh, I don't think we it need is. to debate the merits of Wally. Clearly, between us, we love Wally. Yeah. I just have to convince you that a film, a third of which is dedicated to sci-fi, is better representative of the sci-fi category than Wally. The cogs in Jonathan's brain are turning. <laughs> are we going to be overrun by animations here? <laughs> is there a zombie anime? Is like The Incredibles going to win superhero film? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't said the categories. Well, we're going to do superheroes. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I was, I'm close to picking an animated one for one of the categories. <laughs> but I, I, that wasn't my original pick. Maybe that's okay. Maybe we shouldn't discriminate against animation. Uh, well, I'm worried if we don't pick Wally, our category is going to be run, overrun by live-action films. <laughs> Here's the thing. I said I didn't hate Tangled. Yeah. You kind of hated Cloud Atlas. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I didn't... I think hate's a bit of a strong word, but I didn't like it. See, I, th- I think Matt's played this a little smarter than me. He's, he's picked films that he knows I like as well, so it's it's harder for me to argue against it. <laughs> That's not necessarily... Uh... <laughs> I think this might come back to bite you. Oh. But I'm happy to go with Wally for best sci-fi film. Okay. And the winner for best sci-fi or fantasy films is 2000, Wally. I like how it was just sci-fi, sci-fi. It's like the category yeah. was sci-fi or fantasy. Yeah. It was like, to hell with you, Lord of the Rings or The Hunger Games. Yeah, I guess there's maybe a little fantasy in Cloud Atlas. Like the green guy, the green... Mm. Hmm. Anyway... Sorry, Jonathan. Oh, look, I'm, I'm two for two in the showdowns. <laughs> I've really played this well. Okay. Best zombie movie since 2000. What is the best zombie film? This could be a little controversial, this pick. <laughs> I feel like a few people might be a bit angry at me. Ooh. But I'm going with Zombieland, <laughs> which I think a lot of people love, but I think a lot of people would say Shaun of the Dead was better. But I don't know. Sean of the Dead might be a little funnier, but I just found Zombieland, Woody Harrelson, Emma Stone, and Abigail Breslin, and Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> just shooting so many zombies is just so much fun. <laughs> that was I had so much fun watching that movie, and Bill Murray is so good in it. <laughs> that's such a funny... That's that's really funny. The, the Bill Murray stuff's funnier than the stuff in Shaun of the Dead for mine. Like, that's just so funny. The It's just funny, it's entertaining, and it's just a great cast just plowing through zombies. The the carnival scene at the end is just... <laughs> so much fun. You, I was watching going, this makes such a good video game. Now, I wasn't sure what you are going to pick for some of your categories. This one I actually predicted... Mm. In my head, I thought this harked back to our Ranking the Best Sitcom Characters podcast, where you would pick Zombieland. I have indeed picked Shaun of the Dead, 
And it's a US versus UK showdown. No, wait, no, you picked Shaun of the Dead? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, we were on the phone the other day and it, <laughs> you made it sound like it was 28 days later. I didn't think I made it sound like that, but you just thought it was. So I, I was like, oh, I, I was, didn't think that. I was really prepared for a uh, Zombieland versus 28 days later showdown. <laughs> oh, no. All my arguments have been against why the fun film's better than the drama. <laughs> Having said that, you did go on a two-minute spiel about why it was better than Short of the Dead before I even said my pick. Well, I didn't think I need to argue like you, Short of the Dead, so I sort of threw my... I knew listeners would be say, shouting at the podcast, Short of the Dead, Short of the Dead. <laughs> so I know I've got the support of the listeners. Yeah. My arguments for Short of the Dead was it came first. Okay, I like that it was sort of groundbreaking territory. Not necessarily the first zombie film, but a zombie comedy. It's basically a, a romantic comedy that just happens to take place during the zombie apocalypse. Mm. I think in terms of the action and stuff, Zombieland is bigger and better, but that's just that's just typical of the US, isn't it? Mm. All yeah. right, the bigger budget. We can't just pick we can't just pick the zombie film with the biggest budget. Well, we could. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's leave all options on the table at the moment. <laughs> The thing about Zombieland was I'm not sure if it carried me through the whole way, the same way Shaun of the Dead did, because Shaun of the Dead relied quite heavily on the characters and the script, and I really liked sort of the dry, witty dialogue in Shaun of the Dead. Mm. And it's something that's held up really well. Shaun of the Dead is something I've probably watched three, four times and enjoyed it just as much, if not more, each time. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zombieland I really enjoyed, but I haven't even thought to go back to it. Woody Harrelson, Emma Stone, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg, Abigail Breslin, Bill Murray. I mean, if we just picked films based on just listing celebrities, like Valentine's Day would probably win <laughs> off all of our categories. New Year's Eve or whatever it is. Well, it's not just names. Yeah, that but we go how off. fun are those guys in that? I'm not just saying, like, his five great actors. I'm saying, how fun are they in this movie? Well, unfortunately, because of Michael Sarah's terrible ability to deal with, you know, the media and publicity. He's now sort of uh, the poor man's Jesse Eisenberg. But at that time, Jesse Eisenberg was a poor man's Michael Sarah. How good are those Bill Murray scenes? <laughs> How good are they? How funny? They're funnier than anything in, in Shaun of the Dead, right? Perhaps. It's a little bit punchline-y. You wouldn't find it as funny watching it again, though. I don't know. I haven't watched it again. I did really like Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I didn't think that was really funny. And Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are really good. Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, they're great. And I think this is perhaps what they should be rewarded for. I feel like some of those other characters you mentioned could be rewarded elsewhere. I don't know. Will Bill Murray get another chance to shine in our awards? (laughs) We'll find out. But I think we should give some credit to Shaun of the Dead being before Zombieland. And that's probably enough, considering how much I enjoy Shaun of the Dead, to tip me over the winner of Best Zombie Movie since 2000 is Shaun of the Dead. I'm on the scoreboard. Yes, it's, it's you got 2 one. 1. Let's go. Okay, superhero movie. Best superhero movie. Oh, I didn't see that category coming. Yes. Oh, I think the listeners did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, it's The Incredibles, right? Yeah. <laughs> My pick for best superhero film since 2000 
And again, I, I might have shot myself in the foot a little bit because I'm not entirely sure this is a superhero film. I, I'll, I'll make my case for it. But my pick, V for Vendetta. Okay, I did see that just this weekend. Walk me through it. Back it up. It was written by the Wachowski brothers, who did mm. Matrix and another little film, Cloud Atlas. And another little film, Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't want to snub them twice. Oh, sorry, the Matrix sibling. I mean, Wachowski siblings. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. And it's based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore. And it's a sort of a near-future Britain where it's, it's so conservative. It's basically run like a dictatorship. Mm. Rules everywhere. There's curfew. Everything's banned. Mm. And there is this mysterious masked character who sort of invokes the spirit, in a way, of Guy Fawkes. His first scene is like he got a dictionary for Christmas and he just looked up all the V words. Didn't you think that was great? It was... Sort of fun. I sort of thought, oh, someone got this guy dictionary for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> he is very learned. He reads things he's not supposed to read, like the dictionary, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, he does give this sort of opening speech where every second or third word begins with V, and it's it's theatrical and it's flamboyant, and it, it hooks you into the character hmm. who is named V. For Vendetta. <laughs> Maybe. And so I liked it because it's got these great action scenes. There's a good relationship with the character of Natalie Portman. Good themes about politics and so forth. I think it brings a lot of things together really, really well with some great performances by Natalie Portman. And Hugo Weaving, who does an amazing job as someone that is underneath the mask the entire film. Well, I had a theory that it was actually Stephen Fry was <laughs> the Vendetta guy. And I don't think they conclusively disprove that. Right, that, I, I stick by that theory. <laughs> so that's my pick. Matt, what's your best superhero film? Well, firstly, just questioning this being a superhero. There's okay. no superpower. Well, there is There's... mention that there was testing done on him, which produced... They said something that sounded cool, like kinesthesia or something, and increased reflexes. Mm. Okay. Okay, so that's 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 some that's some sort of abilities, special abilities. Yeah. And he does have an outfit. Yeah. And he he fights it's not really a super crime villain, in the government. Though. Yeah, he's more like a vigilante than a superhero. I don't know. He's a vigilante with a costume and special abilities. I don't know if they're superpowers, but they're I think it could count against him. I think, you know, it's laying the groundwork, okay? I, I feel like... Okay. As a big so, Batman So, <laughs> my, um, my pick for best superhero movie since 2000, The Dark Knight. <laughs> I think The Dark Knight is, is the best superhero movie since 2000. So Batman, he's he's clearly a, a superhero, as well, opposed of to of course being. he's a superhero. Who would say Batman isn't a superhero? Well, just he's one of the most famous superheroes just play, in the world. Play devil's advocate. <laughs> just entertain the listeners and explain why V is not a superhero and Batman is. Well, Batman fights uh, like the Joker and the Riddler <laughs> and all these people in Gotham City. These super villains. Yeah, but he I could fly around. The Joker. He flies. Make me a superhero. He, he doesn't fly like Superman, but he has like a cape that makes him be able to fly. Yeah, I could. 
jump out of a plane if I had a cape. He's got a lot of money. Probably he's wouldn't. Got a lot of wealth. There's a got, dangerous thing. He's got to a do. Batmobile. He's got a cave. He's got a utility belt with heaps of things in him. If he's got a cave, he's got, he's got like, he's he's got got like got, just dynamite. He's got a belt with knives. He's on like Wiley e. Cody. He's just got a tray full of dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not seeing too many differences. Yeah, no, okay. I, I think you've turned me around. <laughs> we'll count V for Vendetta as a superhero. Uh, so I was actually really impressed with V for Vendetta. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, Natalie Portman's great. We love Natalie Portman. She was great in The Black Swan. Yeah, I love Black Swan. Yeah, great movie. And uh, she's really good here. I like the character of V. I thought maybe V for Vendetta was a little heavy-handed with its messaging, maybe, mm. perhaps. I don't know how you do it without being a bit heavy-handed, but but it was a lot of fun, and I think some important things said. And, yeah, you love that V Fanetic guy. You never, like, see his face or anything, but he's just such a fun character. And, <laughs> like, So he's really good. I just think, though, The Dark Knight is just so iconic and so good. Like, you've got... And I guess here's the thing. Like, the Joker in Batman, is the guy who causes... His his whole MO isn't getting a lot of money or getting a lot of power or anything. He just wants to create chaos in the city of Gotham, mess with the hearts and minds of the people of Gotham. And in one sense, him turning the idealistic figure of Harvey Kent into a villain is... Harvey Kent is a cheap Harvey Dent <laughs> I impersonator. Said, okay, okay. Harvey Dent, yes. I, fun parties and things. I said Dent. <laughs> it may have sounded like I said Kent. Anyway, Harvey Dent, um, turning him into a bat is, is his master accomplishment. It is what he's trying to do as a villain. And Batman is the order fighting the chaos and he's fighting it in the shadows. And I just think that's so interesting the way they dealt with it. I think a couple times it was a bit heavy-handed in Batman too. The whole surveillance sort of issue I think was a little like unnecessary. But... I just thought that was so well constructing of a villain and constructing of a superhero. It's I just thought that was really well done with these just larger-than-life characters. I'd say an argument for V for Vendetta is Natalie Portman's character. So I think V has a better companion, a better female lead in the film. Mm. I'd say an argument for The Dark Knight is a much better villain. Yes, because in in V for Vendetta, the villain, I guess, in, in a way, is, is the politics. Mm-hmm. And that is just sort of represented by this leader. But we don't get to know that much about the leader. He's a bit one-dimensional. He's yeah. just kind of this face on a screen that spouts, you know, conservative nonsense, basically. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't really have the, the intrigue or the dialogue or the impact that the Joker does. Mm. Now, I was incredibly disappointed by The Dark Knight Rises. I didn't know what to believe in anymore, basically, yeah. after Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I went back and watched The Dark Knight. I was like, was The Dark Knight that good? I love The Dark Knight. How can this be the sequel to The Was it really that It was that good. It was perhaps even better in light of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I really, really do love The Dark Knight. It's very interesting these two films are very similar themes, where... It's more a struggle for the hearts and minds of the people than any sort of financial or political sort of struggle. Uh, obviously, they're both political to a degree. It's also both about vigilantes. Mm. I'd say the big difference, though, is Batman's fighting against the chaos and V for Vendetta's creating the chaos. Ooh. V for Vendetta, I don't think, is something that has that much respect. I've always felt like it's been an underrated film and it's always been one of my favourites 
and I feel like an SV. Cause we're calling these awards the SVs. <laughs> is is my chance to reward that film? Okay. Okay. Here's what you could maybe win me on, right? I think The Dark Knight is easily the better film of the two. <laughs> okay, I just think the villain and the story and everything is, is much stronger and more rich. The argument is which is the best superhero? I still prefer Batman, but I think it's a lot more level then. Because I think there's a lot of things going for The Dark Knight favour outside of Batman. Where I think the V for Vendetta character is maybe not better but a bit more interesting in how he uses chaos to upset the authority structure. I love Batman. I love sort of Batman series, the character of Batman. But if I were to pick purely based on which character do I like more in these two films, Batman in the Dark Knight or V in V for Vendetta, I would say I would pick V because I guess, as you said, you know, the way he wants to bring about progress through chaos, you sort of get those interesting elements of not only being sort of the the vigilante hero, but the Joker as well. Yeah. And I think perhaps he has a little bit more intrigue to him than Batman does in The Dark Knight. And his style, just, he loves the Count of Monte Cristo. He's practicing with the sword as he gives his eloquent speeches and things. Okay, you can, you can do it. It's tied, 2-2! Two, two. Okay. Can so you can announce it and call it whatever uh, yeah. you want to call it. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's been calling it. He's a bit upset. He's, he's passed the buck on the call of this one. He's not too happy. The best superhero film since 2000, V for Vendetta. Okay. Number five. Let's go from superheroes to a bit of romance. The best love oh, no. story. No. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to change my pick now. <laughs> Well, if you want to pick a porn over Best Love Story, <laughs> feel free. Though I don't think I would have seen it. <laughs> um, best Love Story, you have to lend me the copy. Best Love Story since 2000. So this isn't necessarily Best Romantic Film, it's the Best Love Story. Okay, well, I went with one that I know you like. But I, I do think this was, this was a very good love story. Moonrise Kingdom. It's about two kids, I don't know, the 12, 13, mm. who run away together. And it's just so well shot, so well done. But I was so impressed at the maturity of the two individuals and the relationship they were presenting. A lot more mature relationship than we see a lot of adults on TV, more adults in real life, where, you know, he'd sort of say, laugh at her, and she'd get really embarrassed and leave, and he'd just go straight away and apologise and say, look, we're in this together, like, I'm sorry... There were discussions that they had, like, he goes, I wet the bed. She goes, I don't mind, like, sort of, because she was more concerned about him not feeling embarrassed than she was about her own comfort and things just, and things where they weren't always on the same wavelength where she said, sometimes I wish I was an orphan. And he goes, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. Like, just some real depth to that relationship, but also a really fun relationship because they're little kids, they've got a little scout uniform on, they're, they're going on an adventure together. And I love the adventure. And I love sort of, you've got this mature relationship, but this fun adventure that they're all going on together. So that's my call for best love story since 2000. Okay, well, my pick for best love story 
is a film I, I think you like, but <laughs> perhaps a film you might even be prepared to give an SV to. <laughs> I think I know. I could. I think I could call this. I think I could predict this. And if, if you're right, it was my second choice for this category. It's Wally. Yes. <laughs> well, I've sold it as a sci-fi. You sell it as a love story. I have literally said to someone trying to get them to watch this film, that is the greatest love story ever told. Whoa. So I consider this to be a love story. And you might say, is robots, Jonathan? Robots can't feel love. No, I wouldn't say that. It's a love story. Well, it's the point of the film. All right. You have this robot Wally who just picks up and compacts trash. He just goes about his day. And then Eva, who comes, comes to Earth, and she's kind of like... She's sort of like the MacBook Pro of robots. Yeah. They end up going off into space, and they lose each other, come back and forth, and the way that the emotions that they have or the feelings that they have for each other is told without dialogue, without anything more than just saying each other's names, Mm. I think is an immense achievement, perhaps even more so within the context of a kid's animation. Mm. I think the final scene of that is one of the most touching things in cinema. Yeah. Like, you have a heart of stone if you can watch Wally and not be affected by the end of that film. Yeah. Okay, here's my thing. Like, obviously, it's a very good choice. Like, it was my second choice in this category. <laughs> um, here's the thing. And I only choose the best. Yeah. <laughs> but here's my thing with Wally. Does it have the richness and depth of the Moonrise Kingdom relation? Does it encompass things like forgiveness and things within? It includes pollution. Yes, it's got an environmental message, right? Yeah. So the best <laughs> environmental message movie would probably win that one as well. But I just, like, it's just but, like I think of the things that I loved about that Moonrise Kingdom relationship, and I'm just not sure if that's there in Wally. And I'll add to that, Wally, like, is it love? Or is it that he's just the only girl he's ever met? Like, if you were living on a desert island and you never, like, met a girl before and one just rocked up, you'd probably, like, really want to spend a lot of time with her as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, but, like, he's 11. And, like, if you saw Kara Haywood, you'd probably just be like, yeah, I love you too. (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) I, I think it doesn't reach quite that depth. And I think that is... I think not a shortcoming. I think just a limitation of mm. the style of film and the fact that they can't talk. You can't have that sharp dialogue, that that awkward reveal of emotional things that you just don't share with people mm. at all. Let alone be able to articulate so poignantly as a twelve-year-old. Mm. I think Wally is better as a love story than a sci-fi. But the fact that Wally has already won an SV and Moonrise Kingdom, a film that I love, has not <laughs> makes me lean towards Moonrise Kingdom. Well, do you know what? I think Wally works better as a love story than a sci-fi as well. <laughs> Just because I love Moonrise Kingdom so much as a love story, I had to move Wally into the sci-fi category. <laughs> it wasn't even sneaky strategy. It was... Because I, I, I didn't know you were going to pick Wally. Um... What we could do is give Wally best love story and then Cloud Atlas best sci-fi film and then order will have been restored. I don't think we can retroactively decide a category. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that solution. 
All right, in that case, I, I think I would vote for Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. And the SV goes to, <laughs> goes to Moonrise Kingdom. I'm on three, you're on two. Uh, I'm going to make a comeback. Yeah. So, now going to category number six, Best Funny Movie. Now, Matt, uh, certain lesser award shows like, uh, say, the Emmys or something, have a, have a category. Uh, they usually use the term best comedy. Why has Screen Verdict chose to use a category name other than best comedy? Okay, this is my thinking with this category. I, I, it was best comedy and I asked for it to get changed. <laughs> and it's because I think, like, if it's best comedy, you're thinking... What's the best movie that's a comedy? That's where you get your sneaky sort of dramedy sort of end up getting these awards, you know, and it may be an Up in the Air or a Juno or sorts of films Desperate like... Housewives. Desperate Housewives. <laughs> sneaking on in there into these awards. And what, what we want to do is, like, we can nominate comedies in any number of these categories uh, to, to win awards, you know? You can have a, a zombie comedies one and things like that. What I thought was for funny movies... What's a movie that we genuinely thought was the funniest movie since 2000? So not say the best comedy, but the one that's the funniest. The one that made us laugh the most or just we thought was the most clever or funny or something like that. So, Jonathan, what was your funny movie? Best funny movie since 2000? It just sounds ironic. Like, I can't, I can't say it seriously. I now have to be like, and my pick for best funny movie <laughs> is I Love You Man. Okay, I thought you might pick this one for Love Story. <laughs> it's a bromance in the Love Story category. So I Love You Man is, a, in a way, a love story uh, between Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. Paul Rudd, he's about to get married, and he realises that he doesn't really have a best friend. Hmm. He's always focused on, on his girlfriends, and he has friends, but he doesn't have a good male friend that he really wants to be his best man. No. So it's basically a hunt or a search mm. for a best friend. Mm. And he finds Jason Siegel, and he's sort of a bit of an odd couple, and it goes throughout this romantic comedy-type storyline, but between these two guys. Mm. Yeah. And I think, and it's not actually produced by Apatow, but in terms of that style of comedy, sort of those bromance sort of things, 40-year-old virgin knocked up for getting Sarah Marshall, those, those sort of actors and characters, those um, style of films, this is far and away my favourite. Mm-hmm. Okay, my pick for best funny movies since two thousand is In the Loop. Ah, oh, Matt's so much better at this game than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too honest with this game. I just pick films that I like I and I think deserve to win. <laughs> but Matt picks things that have the best opportunity to win. I honestly have just picked my honest favourite for all of these movies. <laughs> I am honestly... I was watching the thick of it last night. How am I supposed to vote against In The Loop? <laughs> okay, so for those who don't know, what is In The Loop, Matt? In The Loop is a political comedy that is... It's, it's a sort of a... It's a spin-off of sorts of a BBC uh, sitcom called The Thick of It. One of the characters is exactly the same. Um, it's got Malcolm Tucker in both, but all the other characters are different... Some of the characters are different, are played by the same actors. So, same universe, different universe, hard to say. <laughs> but anyway, and it starts off as a British sort of political thing about this minister who says something about war, whether they're going to go to war. And then it ends up spiraling out of control, going to the US. They all go to the US, and it en- ends up at the UN where they're all trying to lobby to get this war happening. So, it's very mirrors Iraq, but. You've got Malcolm Tuck, which is such a funny character, who goes on the funniest rants that just 
all these uh, swearing and sexual things and stuff like that. It's like, on and on. It's just so funny. You've got Steve Coogan as a constituent in one of the districts <laughs> with his wall that he just said, so I love the wall stuff. <laughs> Are you going to fix this wall? Are you going to fix the wall? It's just, I, I just found it so funny. What do you think, Jonathan? I think In the Loop is great. The only sort of perhaps mark against it, is it as good as The Thick of It? It's hard to say because The Thick of It's four seasons long and it's probably, I would say The Thick of It's maybe a bit more inconsistent than In the Loop, but In the Loop's shorter. <laughs> Like, I could find a couple of episodes of The Thick of It that are worse than In The Loop. And I could probably find a couple of episodes of The Thick of It that are better than <laughs> In The Loop. I thought it was of a similar quality, though. Something that I Love You Man had going for it, in terms of just general out-and-out comedies, this has one of the, the smartest scripts. I think it subverts a lot of genre expectations, and then it subverts some of your own expectations. Can you give me an example? Because I really can't remember what you're talking about. Well, there's a part in the, the film where a character asks to borrow money, and you go, oh, obviously this is going to go wrong, and it's going to cause a strain on, on the relationship, and this is just going to be frustrating, and then they're going to resolve it somehow, and that's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But then what the person actually chooses to do with the money once they've got it is actually very unexpected and very funny. Okay. That's just an example of yeah. what the script... The problem is you're comparing it to one of the cleverest writers there is. So the, the, the thick of it just blows other shows out of the water in terms of depth of story, depth of just conniving, underhanded political plays in terms of dialogue. It's, it's hard to say that I Love You Man is smarter than In The Loop, which I probably would have been able to say about 90% of comedies. So, is it funny? Do you find in the loop funny? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't give you a warm feeling at the no, end. No, no, no. It's not feel good. But it's not best feel good movie. <laughs> it's not the category. <laughs> I think it looks like I'm going to need to go on a 4-0 run to finish off yeah. the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just didn't... I, I like I Love You Man. I'm not anti I Love You Man. I just didn't really like it that much. Like, I thought it was good. Like, we were me, like, how funny was that? I was like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> like, it was, I liked it. So it looks like the funniest movie since 2000 is in the loop. Okay, so I'm four and you're two. Okay, category seven, best overachiever since 2000, which is the movie, and you picked this category, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, it's the film that, most exceeded our expectations? Yes. <laughs> a category in which a film genuinely deserves to win an award for us not hating it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a film we didn't expect to like, but maybe we did. Yeah. Exceeded our expectations by the most, the highest amount, is what the award is for. Okay. Uh, do you want to hear my pick? Yeah. This film, uh, I was expecting uh, a bit a little entertaining. I probably won't like it that much. And I ended up having so much fun watching this movie. I've been to a lot of movies that I just have fun watching. Um, Kick-Ass. 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 Okay. Well, why are you surprised at that as a pick? Do you think I, my expectations should have been higher, or do you yeah, not realise Yeah, I saw okay. the trailer for Kick-Ass, and I thought, oh, this looks like it could be pretty good. Like, I expected it to be at least enjoyable. And then it was really good. 
So maybe it did exceed my expectations, but, but only by okay. a bit because I was was hoping it would be good. I think I've seen the trailer for that. I've seen the trailer for Scott Pilgrim at a similar time, and I sort of thought, oh, Scott Pilgrim probably looks better. Like that's got Michael Sarah in and people I know. Like I didn't really know anyone in Kick-Ass, other than Nicolas Cage, who's very hit and miss with movies. And I said, oh yeah, some superhero thing is probably gonna have a lot of stupid jokes and stuff in it. Yeah, and I ended up just being thoroughly entertained. I thought it was funny and clever, and Nicolas Cage was really good. And Chloe Grace Moretz <laughs> is so funny and so entertaining. <laughs> I sorry, I'm just just figuring out what again we've had this <laughs> talk about how, how what's an appropriate way to describe her in this movie. <laughs> she just comes on the scene, starts dropping C bombs and cutting <laughs> off people's heads. Like it's just you couldn't take your eyes off her. It was that, that's what I was worried about using that <laughs> expression. <laughs> in that thing. But they even acknowledge that in the film where one of the guys goes, I'd so like go out with her. She's like, she's 10, man. I'm prepared to wait. <laughs> and there's two things you're not expecting any movie to really do. Like she just walks up in that schoolgirl outfit and you're like, what? They're really doing that in this film? And it just gets out of a machine gun and starts like mowing down people. It's just so entertaining and funny. And it's clever though. It's not just a lot of crazy violent scenes and swearing, but it's, yeah. Okay. I think I've taken a little bit of a different approach to you in this I, category. I think there are a number of different approaches you could take to this category. My pick, and this is this is perhaps unexpected that this would be ever up for a screen verdict award, is Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Oh, man. Uh, it's a different approach. <laughs> um, this is interesting. This we is... reviewed Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. It famously got a zero from Matt, the first zero on the Screen Verdict podcast, and I gave it a two out of ten. That's a very bad score. You gave it two. I don't remember how many you gave it. So I really did not enjoy Breaking Dawn Part One. Therefore, the expectation for Breaking Dawn Part Two is probably a two out of ten. Okay, that's sort of the bar it had to beat. Yeah. I gave Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 a 6 out of 10. Yeah. Well, I thought that was quite a fun... There was this bad stuff, cheesy dialogue, but it was sort of funny, cheesy, sort of self-aware cheesy, a cheesy that was enjoyable to watch, rather than just a slog like the first one was. So I hated the first one, but came out of the second one not thinking it was great, but it was something that I, well, I thought was actually worth watching. And therefore it... Really overachieved in my eyes. Mm. I see where you're coming from. <laughs> what did you give Breaking Dawn Part 2? Uh, did I give it a 2? I probably gave it a 2, I would guess. Maybe a 1. <laughs> like, so that's, that's overachieved. That's, that's yeah. exceeded the expectations for you as well. It was better. It's in- improved its score by infinity in, <laughs> in terms of percentage I don't mind your logic. And I'm happy to buy into it. I just got a bit of an ethical issue with giving this horrible film an award. <laughs> like, that's my big problem. I just... Oh, it's so... So bad still. Twilight is <laughs> so bad. Like, it wasn't... I can't believe you gave it a 6 out of 10. <laughs> I can't believe you gave the first one a 2. <laughs> I feel you've but, played a good game, Matt, but I feel like you've mispicked here. 
look, you, you've got me. Like, I've gone <laughs> up in affinity, like, from my Breaking Dawn, but I was expecting another zero infinity or another half. Maybe I only gave it half. Maybe I only gave it half. Like, I gave it very... I still was pretty unkind. Um, uh, you, I can't say it, though. <laughs> Once again, Sour Matt refuses to announce the winner. The award for Best Overachiever. Best Overachieving Film since 2000. Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. By not being a zero. It wasn't a zero, so it's overachieving. For future contenders, the key to winning that award is set our expectations extraordinarily low. Yeah. Okay, number eight. We have a thing on the podcast called the Return of Jafar Principle. Yes. It was... We've got, there's a few Return of Jafar principles, <laughs> but one of them, then I think maybe in hindsight the biggest, is it was 66 minutes long, which we love. They got in there. They got out. They told the story they needed to tell. They didn't josh around with us. Yeah. And it was a good story. We liked it. We did. Yeah. But it was a 66-minute story, and they told it in 66 minutes, and we respect that. <laughs> um, this is best movie that's two and a half hours or longer. <laughs> We talk about this a lot on the podcast. The epidemic in Hollywood at the moment of films being two and a half hours long that just don't need to be two and a half hours long. Yeah. So we decided to create a category to award films that actually needed to be two and a half hours long. They've done the best job at being two and a half hours long. Mm. And that's not an easy task. This is, this is a long time to try and entertain someone. So whoever wins this, has, wins this award has done a pretty good job. Mm. My nomination... And for anyone that knows the length of this film, will not be surprised that I picked it. Because it is my favourite film of all time. So this is going to be a tough... Oh, yes. A okay. tough yes, sorry. task for Matt to convince me to go with his pick over mine. Because my pick is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. What a mouthful. <laughs> it's longer the movie or the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I never, you, you've been talking about this film for years, <laughs> um, and you love it so much. Uh, Favourite film of all time. I only just saw it on the weekend. I've never seen it, so you may try watch it. I knew it would be coming up at some point in this, uh, <laughs> these proceedings. Uh, it's a movie. It's a movie about Jesse James, who's sort of seen as a bit of a Robin, American Robin Hood. He robs trains. And uh, he's a bit of a celebrity hero. There's stories about him. And Robert Ford, he loves Jesse James. He grew up reading these stories. He wants to be just like him. And he eventually sort of gets his chance at being in the gang. And it's this story about him getting to meet his hero and what it's like to actually experience the difference between an actual person and the myths and legends surrounding a person. Hmm. And it takes place in this uh, Western setting... And it's not really kind of a fast-paced action shootout sort of western, even though there are some shooting scenes. But it's more of an exploration of, of these two characters and, I guess, that setting and time period and, I guess, the, the myth of celebrity. Yes. Matt, what is your pick? My pick. Like, I don't know, do we really need to waste the listener's time with your pick? Well, it needs to be a showdown, doesn't there? Well... <laughs> You were pretty convinced of what... You thought you knew what my pick was this was going to be, didn't you? I did have a prediction. My prediction for your pick was Django Unchained. Oh, I knew that was over two and a half hours long, and I knew you liked it quite a lot. I did not go with Django. Oh. 
I went with a, a longer film title than yours, I think. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. The first <laughs> Lord of the Rings movie. And I don't think this was a strategical pick at all. <laughs> I think Django may have been easy to convince you on. Yes, I, I enjoy Django a lot too. Now, you've sort of done something here. Yeah. You've picked a film which you think is not good enough to win another category that it was eligible for. Because Lord of the Rings is a fantasy film. Mm-hmm. And you didn't pick it for the best sci-fi or fantasy film. Yeah. So, at the very best, Lord of the Rings is slightly worse than Wally. That's how much you like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But I couldn't pick two movies for the same <laughs> for, for in my list, could I? So who knows which one's the one I really prefer. You say, well, Lee wasn't good enough to make the... Oh, no, it's not two and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair point. Um, look, I think there was some... Uh, I think the second Lord of the Rings was a little bit messy, and the third Lord of the Rings was definitely suffered from being too long. I think mm. they just kept on having end of the movie, just after one after another. (laughs) But I think the first movie was the perfect sort of adaptation of the the Tolkien books where it's long because it's an epic story, but it's sort of uh, at a good pace the whole way through. You've got the sort of a sort of slow start, little Frodo in his like hobbit hole, setting off on an adventure, um, then meeting people as he goes along the way, then they get the fellowship and then there's some action halfway through and then at the end you've got the bit of another action scene and things. I think like, it's a really nice pacing, and I like how it's sort of a team going on an adventure. We get the Fellowship together and they all go. You've got Gandalf. He's great. I think, like, Gandalf the Grey, it's, I think it's just a really, really strong movie that, you know, Lord of the Rings has become so iconic and, and so sort of famous and sort of in some ways may have paved the way for sort of what we're seeing today with Game of Thrones and things. I watched the three Lord of the Rings films. I remember I quite liked the first one. I thought that the second one maybe wasn't necessarily any worse. I thought it had a pretty good battle towards the end. I remember that. Oh, yeah, Helm's Deep. That was good. And then the third one had some sort of battles and stuff that seemed bigger, but they weren't necessarily better. And the last hour of that... mm, Boy, howdy. Yeah. The last hour of that felt like it could have been eligible for this category. Yeah. Uh, Not that it would get nominated. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not a good two and a half hours, no. it felt like. Mm. So, yeah, Lord of the Rings versus the assassination of Jesse James. The assassination of Jesse James. I think, first of all, what a bold title. This guy gets assassinated by this guy, and they call him a coward. Mm. I find that really interesting. Is by the coward Robert Ford. So you have this story about Jesse James. Jesse James is quite a famous character. In, in the film, they say at the time... Every, every person in America knew of two people, Mark Twain and Jesse James. Hmm. That's pretty famous. Top two. Hmm. The story following Robert is really interesting because he he desperately wants to be like Jesse. And he has this sort of innocence, but it's not quite naive. Like, he does have some sort of, like, ambition and things that he wants to prove and achieve himself. And the sort of arc that he goes on from getting to meet him to being put in a place where he feels like he needed to assassinate him Mm. is really quite 
a, I think, a deep subject, and it's quite affecting. And then I guess you sort of have, like, the three parts of the film, I guess, is him getting to uh, know him, then the lead-up to him killing him, and then the aftermath. Mm. And he thought he would be be thought of as a hero. He killed this notorious mm. gunslinging outlaw. But people viewed him as Robin Hood, and people hated Robert Ford because of it. And so it's easy to think, oh, he, he killed Robin Hood. He's a coward. He betrayed his friend. But we get to see him as a person, what it's actually like for him to experience that throughout the course of the film. Mm. In front of a backdrop of the most beautiful cinematography I've seen in film. Okay. You hear me talk about Roger Deakins all the time. I love everything Roger Deakins does. This is far and away the pinnacle of Roger Deakins' work. Some of the shots of just, you know, Brad Pitt in front of the like the fields on fire at the start, all the refracted lens shots um, with the, the deaconizers, they're called, after Roger Deakins, some of the, the, the shots uh, in slow motion, just to something as simple as uh, Robert Ford getting his picture taken and the flash of the photograph, and you see him blink, and you can just see in slow motion just sort of the, the weight of what he's done being photographed, like being recorded, and we get to witness that moment. Mm-hmm. That that makes me tear up nearly every time I watch <laughs> the film. There aren't enough ways to express how much I enjoy this film. There are the, there are bits that are entertaining, they're affecting, they're impressive from an, uh, just an artistic point of view, from acting to the shots of the film, the direction, the, the soundtrack. I'll listen to the soundtrack a hundred times. It, it's just... My favourite things about film all came together in the one film to produce The Assassination of Jesse James by the Count Robert Ford. Okay. Um, contain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this film for the first time on the weekend and it was good. It was a good movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought um, it was a very interesting story. And I think the name was re- like what you said about the name is really interesting. I don't know in America how many people know Robert Ford killed Jesse James. That's a something that everyone knows anyway. But for me, who doesn't really know anything about Jesse James or history, it sort of was an interesting choice to actually pretty much have the film title be just what happens in the movie. It sort of changes the way you view the movie almost. Mm. Like if it had just been called. Jesse James or Robert Ford, the Robert Ford movie, the Jesse James movie, something like that. Uh, then I'm just watching going, oh, it's interesting. Let's see what they do. But I know from the very beginning of the movie that this guy is going to assassinate this guy at some point. And you, you may have noticed, it, it, like, there were scenes in the movie, oh, I wonder if this is the scene. <laughs> like, oh, is this, is he going to assassinate him here? And not knowing how, and, and again, a bit ballsy calling him a coward, like, what makes him a coward, I think is quite an interesting question. And it wasn't really from going into the movie, the kind of cowardice I would have expected. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but I guess what I was expecting was, oh, he's, you know, maybe going to get cornered or something and going to get scared. He's got to overcome his fear of of killing someone. But, no, it was a very interesting sort of fear here. What, what makes him a coward is very interesting. So, so there's some really good themes, some really good performances. It looks very nice. However, <laughs> I think there's some unnecessary stuff in there. Some stuff I wasn't pl- completely like. I think the problem, the problem with it for this category, <laughs> is that it's too long. <laughs> 
It's too long a movie. And it, it would have been much better. shorter and it wouldn't have been eligible. It's only yeah, I know. two hours and 40. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying... <laughs> I'm saying I think the flaw of the film is that it's too long. <laughs> I think that, like, it's a good, it would have been a better one-and-a-half-hour movie. <laughs> so, I don't know. This is the big problem with this film. It's, it's too long, Jonathan. It's, it's, a long, well, it's, it's, long... the, it's the one category where it's runtime. It's allowed to run free. It's got to be good. It's got to be a good two-and-a-half hours. I don't want a good 90 minutes or, like, an hour, like, just throwing on the end of it. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. sure we could trim a couple of minutes from Lord of the Rings as well. <laughs> it should have been longer. They missed the Tom Bombadil scene. <laughs> so but, I'm a little bit undecided. Okay. Which way are you leaning? Well, but... if you're undecided, I'm pretty dead set on Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> the winner is... Oh, <laughs> the SB goes to... <laughs> No, I look, I think Lord of the Rings is very good and it is a better film for mind. But and the fellowship the fellowship of the ring. But I think it's your favourite movie. <laughs> it is very good. It's very cinematic and it's almost almost like Lord of the Rings, it's not a complete movie, is it? Like it's sort of it doesn't have the best conclusion because it's gotta lead into the next <laughs> movies and Things like that. So, look, I'm gonna. I'm. I, I think. I think. Assassination, Jesse James. Right. The comeback has begun. <laughs> the best two and a half hour plus film since 2000. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Are we on four apiece now? It would seem so. If I've counted that up, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it's eight. We've done eight. So. Category number nine. The best Bill Murray movie since 2000. <laughs> Who doesn't love Bill Murray? This is a bit of a neglected category. People might, you know, pick other, their favourites of other lists. But we decided, someone we're both a big fan of, Bill Murray, but we haven't really got to talk that much about on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, deserved an award. So we're going to pick a film. We love Bill Murray. And I think the world loves Bill Murray. <laughs> he just, like... There's a great article in one of those magazines last year about how, like, Bill Murray just... Like he was walking around and like he was walking around New York or something and saw a bunch of like college guys playing like soccer or something. And he just went and joined in. And like they realized a couple minutes later, wait, that's Bill Murray that's playing with us. <laughs> yeah. There is something like uh, a list of like the 10 best Bill Murray stories. And it's always doing him doing something really funny or ridiculous, but. Just something you wouldn't expect a celebrity to do, to do. Just rocking up to some random like college college party, party. And like, yeah. or just him hanging out with Wu Tang Clan, or him getting busted for um, just driving a golf cart down the middle of the road. Okay, okay. here's the thing: BillMurrayStory.com, and it's got a list of all the stories, like Bill Murray stories. <laughs> That's the website to go to, and people can just post their Bill Murray stories on it. <laughs> so he's great. George Clooney loves Bill Murray. Bill Murray's always around at George Clooney's Italian villa, hanging out. Well, my favourite, I think the best Bill Murray movie since 2000, the one he got an Oscar nomination for, was Criminally Robbed by Sean Penn, Lost in Translation. This, for mind, is probably the best movie since 2000. Well, yeah, I think it's simple. It's not some big epic western historical thing <laughs> it's a man who feels alone in a foreign city and he's just 
really, really alone. And I think surely everyone can relate to what it feels like to be alone. And there's a girl who's on her honeymoon, but her husband's off working the whole time. And she's in the same hotel and she's really alone. And they meet each other. And there's this great scene where Bill Murray says to her, when he starts talking to her, do you want to blow the joint? Do you want to like, let's escape. And they just have a fun adventure together. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they, they just find each other. And I, I, I wouldn't call it a love story or a romantic film. It's a film of like a friendship and, these this friendship that's made out of the ashes of loneliness. And I think it's very profound and the the final scene is is very good. And I just I it just has a real resonance of sort of people not wanting to be alone and doing fun things together. So they're not alone anymore. It's simple, it's sweet, it's profound, and it's funny. I think there's some really there's the lady goes, rip my stocking status, rip my stocking and he goes on the Japanese game show and he, he's the, the photo shoots they make him do because he's an actor and his wife's sending him the Ikea manual via fax machine and just, like, there's some really funny stuff in there too. Um, but I, I just think it's so... Sums up, like, Bill Murray and his contribution cinema. Directed by Sofia Coppola, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. So best Bill Murray movie. He's all over it. He's the lead in it. It's great. I understand what you're saying, Matt. You're saying that... There's an adventure. There's these sort of chance encounters, a connection between these two people. It's poignant. It's funny. It's Wes Anderson-esque. But perhaps you might be best going with an actual Wes Anderson film, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, okay. Sell me. (laughs) Bill Murray is, I can't remember the exact thing, a marine biologist type. He... Mm. Basically goes down to the depths of the sea to explore living George Costanza's fantasy. (laughs) Weird and wonderful deep sea creatures. Hmm. And so Wes Anderson sort of given this setting because he he kind of when he sometimes he's sort of like compositions and and uh, sort of like the tone. It's almost kind of like childlike sort of like nostalgic fairy tale type things. And he gets to sort of search for these sort of mythical creatures in it, almost. Like, the some of the things you get to see are so bright and colourful and wonderful and completely uh, not of this world, mm. but it's captivating. And uh, it's very Wes Anderson-esque, but it perhaps just runs with it a bit more. I think it's perhaps the most ambitious film. Mm-hmm. Some, some of the purists don't like it as much as Rushmore and things, which are a little bit more down-to-earth. But this one, they just go. They just... Let all the characters, all all the production designers just run free and come up with a, a really crazy original film with Bill Murray at the centre of it. Yeah, I was really hoping when you're talking with Anderson you'd pick Royal Tannenbaums or something like that and then I could sort of go the angle of, well, he's not the lead. We want a <laughs> Bill Murray film to be the best Bill Murray film. And then you went Life Aquatic. Oh, he's, he's the lead in that. <laughs> I think I was on such a high from Lost in Translation... That, like, I think The Life Aquatic was his next sort of big film that he was the lead of. I can't remember if Broken Flowers or Life Aquatic came first, but I think it was Life Aquatic. And I just remember being a bit disappointed because it wasn't wasn't at that Lost in Translation level. It was a bit... I didn't find it quite as good a story and quite as good a character. It was funny. I liked it, but didn't float above Lost in Translation for mine. 
here's my reaction to Lost in Translation. Yeah, well, I, I haven't talked too much about Lost in Translation, even though I love the film. I have very high expectations for it, but people oh, enjoy it. Was I talking film. it up? Was I talking it up? Well, I, not just yeah, but a lot, lot of people okay. talked it up. And I watched it and I thought, it's got this sort of quite original tone. It's it's quite dry and funny. And it's sort of a unique setting. It's it's not really a your <laughs> typical love story, I guess. Over the course of, is it a week? Weekend? A short period of time. They shot the film in like seven days or nine <laughs> days or something. <laughs> and sort of like how the effect that these sort of people have on each other while just in a foreign place and sort of feeling sort of lonely and disconnected. And I feel like that's quite profound. But I feel like I like the description of Lost in Translation more than I actually did watching Lost in Translation. Ooh. It is sort of a comedy of sorts, but it's not really that funny. Yeah, I would never have picked it for the funny movie category, even though I prefer it to In the Loop. But even people that... But, like, even people that acknowledge that maybe found it funnier than I did. Mm. Like, the, the, the Lippet scene, the Lippet scene, I, I just thought was perhaps a bit... I, don't know, I didn't find that hilarious. And I wanted something a bit more from the film. I, I, fe- I found it, in the end, not wanted, really that satisfying. You wanted something more than and this? It's, well, it's not that you, you have to have a happy ending, but at the end, I was just kind of like, well, where did the characters start and where did they end up? And was it an interesting journey? I don't know if they're re- they're really anywhere different. I, I I just wanted a bit more of a progression, I guess, in the in the characters. It was. I don't really want to spoil the ending, but I think like their situation may have not changed, but they'd had that week together. What they're left with is a feeling of everything's going to be okay. I think I think it's a film that they've set up for different interpretations to be on where these two characters are, are end up. It doesn't he whisper something yes. at the end, but you don't know yes. what he says. Yes. So that I guess people have inserted what they've liked, and I, I feel like it's like everything's going to be okay. Is what I think is whispering. Lost in translation has this intangible quality to it mm. that I can see why people latch onto. Mm. I can. This is a film I, that I don't go. No, I don't really like it. I don't understand why people like it. Mm. I can go. I see why people like it, but it just didn't have that impact on me. Now we haven't had a Coppola represented on our list yet either. <laughs> Francis Ford has been a little lazy since <laughs> two thousand, if you ask me. <laughs> I'm happy to give it to Lost in Translation. I am as well. Let's do it. <laughs> And the SV for best Bill Murray movie since 2000 goes to Lost in Translation. That puts me in an unbeatable position heading into the last one, but we can tie it up. Do you think if we tie it up, people will think that was planned? It wasn't. It was, yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll see. (laughs) They'll probably think we should have picked an odd number of categories. Yeah, you probably should have picked... The last one's worth one and a half. Yeah, you know, you've got to pick my (laughs) one for the last one so it doesn't look planned. (laughs) Right? So it doesn't look like we've set it up for a draw. Well, it might depend on the bits. It'll come down to the... Okay, the last category, and it's a big one. Um, We've talked about this already on the podcast, this epidemic in Hollywood of people ripping off the uh, cinema classic, or straight-to-video classic, uh, Return of Jafar. Uh, That's not a criticism, mind you. If you were going to rip something off from a film, 
There are many worse films you could rip off than Return of Jafar. Yeah. So, we've got our last category is for best Return of Jafar ripoff since the year <laughs> 2000. What was, what's your candidate, Jonathan? This was a tough one to pick because there are quite a few films that rip off uh, Aladdin's Return of Jafar. A famous one is the sort of fake out death ending. Yes, yes. <laughs> Classically, Iago. <laughs> was tragically believed to have come to a... <laughs> His comeuppance. <laughs> met a tragic fate uh, at the end of Return of Jafar. <laughs> and the genie picks up little Iago <laughs> and says, poor little guy, is dead or something. <laughs> Only uh, for him to cough. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can live through. <laughs> uh, classic Disney line. A film that has used a similar ending to this. A film that people know I'm a fan of. Perhaps has even been mentioned already in the podcast. Oh. And I always don't want to spoil it, but I sort of I don't mean you do mine first, then. Do you want to keep the suspense? Well, not spoil my pick. I just mean spoil the movie. Oh. <laughs> okay. There's going to be a spoiler now for yeah, a movie. I just realised I sort of spoil the ending. So, if you don't want spoilers for not for specifying films... Can you give a genre or something? Because um, mine's a bit of a spoiler too, I guess. It's something we've already podcasted on. Okay, okay. So we've podcasted on this movie already. Has it been... Is it in the cinemas still now? No. Okay, so it's not in the cinemas at the moment. We're not spoiling anything that's current. You've had a chance to see it. Okay, I think you just got to go with it. And the spoiler is that the at the end of Drive, Ryan Gosling oh is sitting in his car... After having just been stabbed by the... What's the actor's name? Albert Brooks. And he's lying there bleeding with his eyes closed. And you think... These sort of things, you think he's the main character, he's going to survive. But Drive was genuinely a film that convinced me that it had the ability to kill off the main character. Yeah. And I really, really didn't want him to die. Hmm. So when we got the uh, the Iago return of Jafar fake out death and he was not dead and drove off in his car. Because the, 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 he, he, he's the driver. He likes to drive. He drives away. It was genuinely one of the most satisfying film endings I can think of. Well, it's good you could talk about it now because we couldn't actually talk about that on yeah. the Drive podcast. <laughs> um, okay. Mine is not a film as good as Drive. <laughs> so I'm going to be arguing the Return of Jafar parallel <laughs> as opposed to the merits of the film. And this is also one we've podcasted on. Oh. Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Okay. Uh, did you bring up these references in the... I think I did. Okay. I think I did. I think I... What are some um, of the parallels? Well, there's one. <laughs> okay. Um, it's that... Um, she falls into the fire, the explosion, and I thought she'd probably die. I thought, oh, she's fallen into an explosion. She seems pretty dead, and it sort of seems like that might be a direction they take the show, make Iron Man feel a bit guilty or whatever. That kid's still alive. You can sort of go hang out with him for a bit. Um, but no, then about five, ten minutes later, it turns out she, I don't know, landed on something or one of the suits picked her up or whatever. But anyway... I thought it was a bit of parallel to it because I honestly thought she'd probably died because also they didn't bring her back for ages. So uh, I just, the movie had moved on to something else. <laughs> and secondly, the Jafar scene is famously in a big pit of lava and she was sort of falling into fire. So 
there's sort of there's a very big parallel there. I'm going to give it pro points for being a more similar death. Falling into the pit of fire is more Return of Jafar-esque. Mm. I think where it gets con points yeah. <laughs> is that I didn't believe she was dead. Okay. I genuinely thought they could have killed off Ryan Gosling in Drive. Did you? Yeah, of course. And it was quite late in the movie too, so... <laughs> Because I, I believe Iago is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, that's what we were sort of comparing it to. Yeah. There's a complete and utter disbelief. I think maybe where you've got a point on Drive 2 is Iago was a sort of morally ambiguous character for a large portion of the film. And <laughs> I think Ryan Gosling was a bit more of a layered character as well. Right, that skirted between sort of shades of light and shades of dark, you know? Yeah, in a way he was sort of the hero of the film, but he also did sort of criminal things, like he was a getaway driver for robbers, and there wasn't really ever a good explanation for that, and then he would do sweet things uh, for the girl, and then there were just like these moments of violence which almost questioned supporting him, made him sort of seem like a sociopath, a psychopath, so he did sort of... Uh, yeah, tread that line very well. So I think... I, I'm going to think I'll go with Drive just because the Ryan Gosling character mirrors the rich depth and complexities of Iago from Return of Jafar. I feel like it would be hard for anyone to argue against that. Mm, yes. <laughs> I don't think it would be a screen podcast without giving Ryan Gosling some sort of award. Yes. Or at least yeah. Drive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so because he's got that moral ambiguity and uh, the moral ambiguity and richness of Viago, what are we going to do, Jonathan? So did we agree the last one was worth one and a half points? No, we did not. It was was the one. (laughs) Well, as much as the listeners may claim this was planned, genuinely uh, did not know the picks or or, some of the... We had to make sure that we'd seen all the films, but... Most of the picks, we did not know who we were going to pick, and we did not know who was going to who was going to yeah. win the showdowns. Yes, I think you knew Tangled was coming. I knew Assassination of Jesse James and Viva Vendetta. Viva Vendetta were coming, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, guys. That's the hundredth podcast. Well, well, wait. We it wouldn't be a podcast without housekeeping. <laughs> Our housekeeping segment. Yes, is there anything in housekeeping? Perhaps we might keep it relevant to this podcast. Mm. Those are our picks. We might post those on Facebook or maybe the categories Mm. on Facebook and you can share your opinions on uh, who you think should have won those categories. How about in our next housekeeping, we put up for review our decisions, but only on the basis of listener suggestions. So if a listener suggests a funny movie that we think is better than the one we chose, <laughs> we'll bump our pick for the listener pick. There you go. Mm. But you've got to convince us why your one is the best. And secondly, we don't need to get too sentimental. We we, we uh, brought it out in our two-year anniversary podcast, but oh, a yeah. <laughs> hundred podcasts, I think that's quite an achievement. Yeah, it is. I think we, we started a podcast about... 108, 109 weeks ago, something like that. So that was a pretty good strike rate yeah. for putting up our weekly podcast. And just to do something 100 times each week and still be uh, enjoying it, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it, 
is something I think we could actually be quite proud of. Yeah, no, I'm very proud. And you've just reminded me of the anniversary (laughs) (laughs) where Jonathan got me a very touching anniversary gift. Screen Screen the bunch, photo frame with a picture of him and me and all our favourite TV and movie characters in it, like the Brady Bunch. It's very sweet. And (laughs) I forgot to get him an anniversary gift. And... I said I'd get it for the next podcast, and I forgot, and you just remind me of it now, and um, um, uh, maybe I've got to issue another apology. <laughs> no, I don't. We've got you something. <laughs> hey. Check that cupboard behind the recording device. Oh, he, <laughs> it's, it's been hidden. It's been here the whole time. Yes. Oh. It's in the paper bag. I hope it's a bagel. Oh, it's a brown paper bag. It's probably stationary. It's a porno. <laughs> okay, I've got it here. Feels plasticky. Let's see what it is. It's a Disney Pixar Monsters Inc. Uh, toy set. We've got Sully and Mike Wazowski. It's a cool present because obviously we love we love Pixar. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool toys. I'll obviously be playing with these. <laughs> Quite a bit. But the best thing is, it's a Monsters, Inc. Yes. A packet of toys. It's not Monsters, University. Yeah. Monsters, University was fine, but Monsters, Inc., one of my favourite films. So, you've done well to find this in sort of the, uh, <laughs> in perhaps a Monsters, University world. Yes. You found me a Monsters, Inc. It was present. buried away behind all the Monsters, University <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> I don't even know why they made this. <laughs> So there you go, uh, a little while coming. But yes, I'm very sorry it was late. Definitely worth the wait, and fitting for our 100th podcast. Yes, it's sort of a 100th gift as well. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Jonathan, for the 100th podcast, but I thank you to everyone who's listened to any of our podcasts, whether it's just been one or it's been all 100. It's been great having you on board. Yeah, if you've listened to all 100 podcasts... Not sure how you'd prove that, but there should be some kind of uh, uh, award. There should be a plaque. You can go up on the the wall of uh, Screen Verdict HQ for listening to all 100 podcasts. Do it. Do it. But uh, whether you've listened to one or 100, we're glad to have you listening. Yeah, it means a lot. It really does mean a lot to people listening to this. People we know and people that we don't know. It's great. And I guess next week we'll be doing Podcast 101. Yes. The adventure continues. Mm. Maybe a Ryan Gosling movie, maybe talking Breaking Bad, like, we'll, we'll see. We'll You've got some good things coming up. Yeah. Dexter's going to be concluding, mm. could be some films, it's exciting times for the podcast. Mm. So look forward to that. Yeah. And as always, we'll see you next week.